This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. The little green shoots have begun to pop out of the front garden. At our house, maybe you guys have seen some signs of life, that, that, that things are waking up, that we're moving into a new season. A new season is on the way. Oftentimes the big box stores like to jump in there and get involved. Let us know that a new season is there. I think Kroger has its Halloween candy out for us. We as a church family, those were able, gathered Wednesday evening uh, for an Ash Wednesday gathering, a time of repentance and commitment and renewal as we step into a season of preparation. These 40 days that lead us up to Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the church historical, the church Catholic has often recognized this is an important time for us to slow down and to prepare our hearts and minds and let God move us closer to the cross. Because to get to the tomb, you have to go through the cross. And so this is a time to slow down and, and do those things. It often includes seasons of fasting. Maybe you want to join us on Wednesdays as we set aside Wednesday for a time of fasting. Some also fast on Fridays. Lent is often a time uh, when people will read scripture a little bit more. There, there's times of giving and service. Placing our heart before God to be filled by his goodness, to be transformed and to be changed. Lots of great resources. But today I want to talk about a resource that we seldom maybe recognize and one that's an important tool and gift of God's grace, while at the same time can be a weapon that the enemy uses to undermine our faith. This same thing can be a gift, and it can also become a weapon in the hands of the enemy. Let's talk about friendship this morning. Let's talk about friends who our friends are, and what does it mean to have and be a good friend? A passage maybe to look at a little bit later, but I want to read it for you. is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Here's a, an author of some wisdom literature. He had this to say about friendship. Two are better than one. This is Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one is able to lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Let me ask God's blessing over our study time, our reading time, our hearts and then we'll open up the question of friendship together. Pray with me. Most merciful and gracious God, we praise you for your goodness and thank you for your presence and invite you to be the good friend who draws near this morning. The good surgeon who works upon our heart, the good shepherd that leads us down the path of righteousness. For goodness and mercy we will dwell in the house of the Lord all of our days. So please take our distractions and set them aside as we place our hearts before you. Those who are watching online or at a distance, may your blessing touch them also. 
and open up your truth to our hearts and minds that we see the beautiful things that are there. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Thank you for pouring your spirit upon your church. In your name we pray, amen. To talk about friendship, I want us to look at a chapter in 1 Samuel, chapter 19. Let's look there together. Let's all turn to 1 Samuel 19. It's in the Old Testament, towards the front of your book. And verses will be up on the screen. And within this chapter, which comes out of the life of David, we're going to see four individuals that step to the front to be a good friend to David. And let those qualities this morning confront us as we think about our friends, but also the friend we ought want to be in people's lives. Because like I've said, a friend can be a weapon in the hands of the enemy or a gift of God's grace. So let's talk about friendship. First Samuel 19, and we'll, we'll, I'm just going to look at the first seven verses as we look at one of his friends. And I might say some things that you want to remember, and so you have a set of notes inside of what you received. You can write some things down this morning. But let me read. First Samuel 19, 1 through 7. First Samuel 19, 1 through 7. And Saul, he's the king, spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, and they said, kill David. That's a bad day. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. If I learn anything, I'll tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistine, meaning Goliath. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood? By killing David without cause. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. A difficult time for David. I mean, when the king's out to get you. But notice the very first verse. And just a few of the words. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David, but Jonathan. Here's a, a world of hurt and challenge and hardship that wants to come down on David with all of hell's fury, but Jonathan. Maybe you have had friends that in the midst of hell's fury have stepped in. And you might have been overwhelmed, but for a friend but for your good friend. In your notes, let's write something down. Good friends help me with my purpose. Good friends will help with my purpose. As we see in the relationship with Jonathan, I'll give you a chance to write that down. Good friends, when we're talking about good friends, help with my purpose. David 
was chosen by God for a specific purpose. That purpose was to establish the nation of Israel. That purpose was to establish Israel's borders, to push back Israel's enemies, and to begin a line of kings that will usher in the peace of God and the rule of God. In fact, it said later in the book of Acts that David fulfilled God's purpose in his time. And Jonathan, his friend, is all about seeing and making that happen. David was a warrior. And Jonathan reminds his dad, steps up and advocates on behalf of his friend. Hey, this person is doing a good thing. He's accomplishing a good work. The Lord is doing things and bringing salvation through him. Jonathan helps David with his purpose. It's very similar to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Okay? The Apostle Paul had a purpose. God had called him out to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, he wasn't just prancing around the Mediterranean like some Johnny Apple church planner. Johnny Apple said he, he was intentionally moving through the Mediterranean with an entire band of friends. He wasn't by himself. He had friends helping him plant churches and establish churches. He had friends that helped him travel. He had friends that helped resource him to fulfill his ministry. He had friends that helped him write letters, deliver letters, give letters. The Apostle Paul had good friends that helped him fulfill his purpose. You have a purpose. God wants to work salvation through you. God wants to bring salvation to your circle of relationships. The people that you know, the people that you work with, the people that live around you and near you. You have a holy, divine purpose. He wants to work salvation through you and a good friend helps that happen to encourage, to advocate. Because one thing is for sure, that when you start doing God's work, you're gonna meet resistance very quickly. You are sure to bump into some challenges. But good friends help with that. If you keep following in the story, Let's just jump down to verse 11, 1 Samuel 19, 11. Let's look at another friend. Let's look at another friend that, that helps, life, helps in the life of David. 1 Samuel 19, 11. I'm going to read down to verse 17. 1 Samuel 19, 11 to 17. We have friends that help with purpose. Let's look at this as we meet uh, David's wife. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. It's a bad day. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. And then she, Michael, took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul, this would be her father, sent messengers to take David, she said, oh, he's sick. And when Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. When the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, this little mannequin she made, and the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he's escaped? And she said to Saul, Well, he said to me, uh, Let me go. Why should I kill you? 
David goes home and his wife, Michael, attuned to what's going on in her father's heart, says, hey, if you don't get out of town tonight, they're going to kill you in the morning. There's things that she says, there's things that she does. She's a good friend because a good friend will help confront my enemies. A good friend, write that down maybe. A good friend will help confront my enemies. A good friend will help confront my enemies. She says to him, if you don't do something about this, it will destroy you. If you don't get out of this situation, it will kill you. There's things that she says. There's things that she does. Here, let me, I don't know if she's like tying together bed sheets and he's going out the window and she's like holding on to the bed. She's like, go, go, I got it, I got it, I got it. I don't know. I don't know, maybe she's, Maybe she's a big girl. I don't know. And then she goes and she builds this mannequin. Like she builds this, this fake image of David. Puts it, and you can see the movie in your mind, right? The scene playing out. She builds this thing in the bed and puts this goat hair to pretend like it's a wig and covers him with the sheet. And people say, well, it's David. He's sick. He keeps it. Like Ferris Bueller. He's sick. He, I don't know that you can go in and see him right now. I don't know that's a good idea. And Saul's like, what is going on? Goes in there, pulls back the sheet, and like, uh, um, and Saul's like, why, why have you deceived me? Why did you let my enemy get away? Because she's loyal to her friend. She's loyal to her husband. The things that she says and the things that she does. She's a good friend. A good friend that confronts enemies. What she says and what she does. I remember vividly Losing my first fight, my first week of high school. I don't know if my sons know this story. First week of school, first week of high school, I get into a fight. Teacher's kids, I tell you. Worse than pastor's kids. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I mean, seventh grade, high school, new building. I'd been homeschooled for a couple years trying to establish myself as the big man on campus, <laughs> picking a fight with a self-professing Nazi. And I was standing up for the Jewish people. Yeah. And dude, if he didn't go all Hitler on me, like jump me after lunch, came behind me and started throttling me. I was, I was starting to black out, but right before I blacked out, I vividly remember one of my closest friends running down the hallway, pushing people aside, throwing down his three-ring trapper keeper, saying, hey, grabbing a hold of my friend and ripping him, grabbing a hold of the guy and ripping him off of me. Yeah, that's what friends do. And we think of friends like, hey, I'm your wingman. I got your back. I'll fight your enemies. We'll go. You know, I'll fight with you, right? And then, sure, that might happen Kind of sometimes. Like if that's your normal day, we can talk. Okay? Yeah, I was taking on the Nazis this week and had my friends with me. More often than not, what you need a good friend to do is to confront your internal enemies. That's where you really need a friend. A good friend. A good friend who will confront your evil habits. A good friend who will confront your lies that you choose to believe. That, that's, that's, that's a good friend. That, that's a friend like Michael. 
It says in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are a friend's wounds. I mean, they come out of love. They prick and they prod and they push us in the right direction towards godliness. And sometimes a friend has to confront our enemies and the enemy is within, the enemy is us. A smart man, smarter than me, said it this way. It is the best and truest friend who honestly tells us the truth about ourselves, even when he knows we shall not like it. False friends are the ones who hide such truth from us and do so in order to remain in our favor. Meaning they don't tell us the truth because they want to be liked. A true friend, a good friend loves us enough to say, can we talk about this? What you're doing and where you're at is going to destroy you. That's what Michael said to her husband. Wouldn't this make Jesus the best of friends? Isn't it Jesus who steps up to confront the enemies that we couldn't confront, to confront death, to confront sin, to stand in the gap? He said, no greater love has seen than what? The one who lays down his life for his friend. N.T. Wright commenting on that verse said, the cross is clearly in view when Jesus says, laying down your life for your friends is the highest form of love. Then he says, and you, of course, are my friends. Hmm. Jesus willing to become mocked. Jesus willing to become hated. To confront our enemies when we were his enemy. Yet he was showing us brotherly love and affection. Jesus saying, if you don't escape this, it will destroy you. That's a good friend. Let's just for a moment talk about friendships and spouses. David and Michael. Michael was Saul's daughter. Let's talk about friends. Being friends with your husband, being friends with your wife. Cultivating that. Oftentimes we think that to cultivate that type of friendship, there has to be these pinnacle moments, these date moments and vacation moments. Let's go away and do these big things. It's been my experience that friendship is built in the mundane of life. In the mundane of things. Historically, um, for as long as we, Elise and I have been married, Friday is our day. Um, the world and church stuff kind of overflows the other six days, and we try to carve out. Uh, Friday is ours. Ask Vanessa. You know, like my calendar is blocked out. Blocked out. You can try to call me if you want to. I dare you. Um, <laughs> for what? For what? Uh, laundry. We do laundry on Fridays. We do laundry on Fridays. You're like, really? Seriously? Like, yeah. It needs to be done, and we do it together. We do it together. Shopping, food shopping. We go to Kroger, click list. We run in, pick up whatever we We do it together. It's the mundane of life. It's the, it's the foxhole trenches of just moving the family forward, and we do it together. And it's my favorite day of the week because I'm with my friend. Uh, this, um, she's not here right now. She's home. 
uh, with her family because she needed to go home. And I miss my friend. I miss my friend. I called her last night. We sent each other texts. So I went to Kroger by myself. That was, that was bad. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Missing my friend and I'm medicating with food. <laughs> I'm supposed to be on a diet right now. <laughs> She's probably watching as we speak. Aiden, turn off the camera. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing laundry by myself, which means it didn't happen. <laughs> Before a marriage dies, the friendship dies. I'm telling you right now, and I've watched it so many times. Before the marriage dies, the friendship will die. So if you want to save the marriage, learn how to be a good friend. Okay? It means you help them fulfill their purpose. That means before Elise is my wife, She's my sister in Christ. How do I help her grow in her faith? How do I confront her enemies? Which means oftentimes just listening and not trying to fix it. Right? Yeah. I know how she does the same for me above and beyond. Let's not miss the fact that David was saved by the friendship of his wife. If we keep going on in the chapter, 1 Samuel 19, verse 18, we'll meet another friend. 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. David's now on the run from his father-in-law, the king. David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Samuel had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. Write this down. Good friends fuel our faith. Good friends will fuel our faith. As you write that down, let me remind you of Samuel. Samuel is the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. He was the last great judge. The one who was prophet king before there was a king. The one who was the voice for God. And the voice of the people to God. He was one that anointed Saul. He's the one who went and anointed David. He is that wise old friend. Who you just need to go and see sometimes. Because you need those types of words. And that type of presence. Imagine where David is at emotionally. Okay? I mean again and again. You heard it from Jonathan. You heard it from his wife. Okay? David hasn't done anything wrong. He's on the run, but not because of his own doing. All he did was exactly what God asked him to do. He stood up against the giant when the king wouldn't. He's ushering in peace. He's taking the army out. He's doing the things that he's supposed to be doing. And Saul, his father-in-law, is desperately trying to kill him. I mean, there have been times when my father-in-law has tried to blow me up a couple of times, but he did it out of love. I mean, it was just, it was affection. It was kind. It was, in, he's Italian. They do those things. It's okay. 
But Saul literally tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. So no doubt you can imagine as David runs into Samuel's presence, he's emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted. He's spent. What have I done? What have I done? And maybe you can imagine a big burly old man with a big burly beard. Come on, let's get something to drink. Are you hungry? Let's sit down, let's talk. And he takes him into his school. You'll see in a little bit. Samuel, because of his spiritual maturity, has gathered others from around Israel who also want to be prophets and speak on behalf of God and learn from Samuel and learn from his wisdom. And David is brought into that fold. He, he, Samuel fuels David's faith. He pushes him closer to God. David will write Psalms specifically about this episode. Psalm 59 is an example. Why? Because he had a good old friend who brought him closer to the Lord. One man said, in some circumstances, you may want to inquire of your friend's situation. Meaning you want to ask, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you genuinely, you know, you want to help. But remember that selflessness bears a responsibility to support your friend in spiritual change and not only fulfill your desire to help. Meaning if you really want to help, the question is in the moment, how are you helping that person grow closer to Christ? If you're really a friend and you really want to help, how do you move them closer to Christ? How are you going to help fuel their faith? A good friend has a prophetic voice, like Samuel has a prophetic voice in what they say and what they don't say in how they pray and how they sit with us. Do you have a Samuel in your life? That when the whole world is falling apart and all of hell is bearing down, I know I can just go sit with this person and they'll provide me a space. And when I leave, I'll be closer to God for it. A good friend fuels our faith. Are you that for other people? Are you that for other people? Are you a sanctuary? To continue in the chapter, there's one more friend. I tell you what, he can be ruthless. He can be ruthless. 1 Samuel 19, starting in verse 20 through 24. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. This is the reoccurring theme. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, this is Samuel's school, okay? And Samuel standing as a head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also started prophesying. And when it was told to Saul, he sent other messengers. They also prophesied. Then he, um, then he sent messengers again a third time. They also prophesied. Then he himself, Saul, he went to Ramah, came to the great well that is in Seku, and he asked, hey, where's Samuel? Where's David? And one of them said, oh, they're at Naoth in Ramah. 
And he, Saul, went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also as he went. And he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and laid naked all day and all night. Thus it said, is Saul among the prophets? Good friends will lead you into friendship with God. Good friends will lead you into friendship with God. The Spirit of God is all over this. Good friends will lead you to a friendship with God. They become vehicles that grow our friendship with the divine. The Spirit again and again comes to David's aid. The Spirit again and again moving David towards his purpose, confronting his enemies, fueling his faith. Saul's like, hey, where's he at? Oh, he's down at the Samuel's school for the prophets. Go get him. Off they go. In walks this little club of assassins. So what's the spirit do? Whoom, slays them right on the spot, and they start singing, Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> David sends another group. In walk the assassins. Whoom, spirit grabs a hold of them. They start shaking tambourines and singing and dancing and prophesying and proclaiming. Da- Saul sends another group, a third group, to go gather David. What's the spirit do? Lays them out, and they start prophesying, and they start singing, and they start dancing. There's a whole, it's like Asbury, but long time ago, Okay. And all of a sudden, the Spirit is overwhelming all those who would come, come against him. So what Saul said, fine, I'll go myself. I'll go myself. And Saul, as he's on the way, he hasn't even got there yet. As he's on the way, all of a sudden, the Spirit gets a hold of him. And Saul starts to sing, and Saul starts to dance. And he strips down to his skivvies. He's getting real naked before the Lord. And he's praising, and he's shaking tambourines, and he's doing all this stuff. And everyone looks and says, oh my goodness, it's Saul, he got himself the Spirit too. Because the Spirit, the Spirit was David's friend. Are you a friend of God's? Are you a friend of God's? Is God your friend? You're like, friendship with God? Is that possible? Is that a thing? Abraham in the book of James was described as God's friend. Moses was described as God's friend, one whom God spoke face to face. In the psalm that we read earlier, this is why I picked that psalm, Psalm 25. It says this in verse 14. Friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. I always love that verse. I want to be a friend of God's. Another way to translate covenant is mysteries or secrets. God's hidden things. My friends, I tell them my secrets. As you would any friend, right? But to the one who fears me, to the one who walks in fear of my name, that means breathes in my presence, is in a spirit of praise, is in a spirit of recognition of me. To the one who pays attention to me, I pay attention to them. And I whisper my secrets. Jesus said to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, at first glance, that's a real jerk thing to say, right? Hey, I'll be your friend if you do what I say. But that's not what that means. He's saying, my friends, they're characterized and known as those 
who follow my commands, who value what I value, who practice what I practice, who live out the reality that I put before them. Those are my friends. That's how you'll know who my friends are. Are you a friend of Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? Do you care about his purpose? Do you care about what he cares about? Do you wake up in the morning willing to confront his enemies? To fuel the faith? Do you embody his words? Or are you a friend of the world? Are you a friend of the world's system of evil? James, who is Jesus' half-brother, had this to say. This is James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. James 4, 4 to 5. He says, you adulterous people. James just gets right at it, man. Like, boom. Like, there's no holding back. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world, that's enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's, it's, it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that it is made to dwell in us? Are you chasing after friendship with the world, its systems, its values? Don't you realize that God has so made you to walk in relationship with him? Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. Yeah. Or are you too busy trying to be the world's friend to help the world's system? Well, if you're going to be a friend to the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. The man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress said, it, if is it's infinitely better to have the whole world for our enemies and to have God for your friend than to have the whole world for your friend and have God as your enemy. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, maybe some of you recognize that name. To seek to be friends with those who will not be the friends of Christ is to become a traitor to our Lord. To seek to be friends with those who will not be friends of Christ is to be a traitor to our Lord. Let's think about how we can nail this down as we think about those four qualities of friends. Maybe friends to look for and a friend to become. Is it time to inventory the value of your friends? Is it time for you to inventory the value of your friends, those people that you let invest in you? What value are they bringing as you think about what a good friend is? Greek philosopher said it this way. He used to say that it was better to have one friend of great value than many friends who are good for nothing. It's better to have one friend of great value than lots of friends who are good for nothing. When, we, when Rose and I teach our economics class, which is spiritual formation and capitals and values, part of that is investing in relationships. And she said it, and I'll continue to say it. 
I'd rather have four quarters and 100 pennies. Four people of great value in my life versus 100 people who aren't worth much of anything. Do you have four quarters? Do you have four corners of a sheet that will carry you to Christ when you cannot move yourself? Is it time to inventory the value of your friends? Because a friend can be a weapon in the hands of the enemy or it can be a gift of God's grace to grow your faith. Parents, how about your kids' friends? Do they have good friends? I don't care if they have friends. I want to know, do they have good friends? Are there good voices speaking regularly and often, probably more than you speak into their lives? Are they the type of individuals that care about your son and your daughter's purpose? Standing and confronting their enemies, fueling their faith. Ask my sons when they talk about their friends, girlfriends. Guess what I want to know first? Guess. Where do they go to church? Do they love Jesus? Why would I want and any other kind of voice speaking in the life of my kids? If that friend doesn't have a heart for Christ, they certainly don't have a heart for my, my, my son. Right? Parents, grandparents, you are free to help and teach your sons and daughters how to surround themselves with good people. Good people. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does not walk with the wicked or stand with the sinners or sit with the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Yeah, inventory. Is it time to inventory the friends? Is it time to inventory your value as a friend? Are you a good friend? Are you a good friend? Meaning, do you care about the purposes of those around you? That God wants to work salvation with those who are around you. Do you care about that on behalf of them? Do you help them confront their enemies? Foreign, domestic, and internal. Do you fuel the faith of those who are around you? Do you bring them closer to God? Do you bring them closer to a friendship with God? Are you a good friend. Some of you is going to come up to me after church and I'm trying to save myself from having this moment. Okay? And I'm trying to save you from dealing with me in this moment. Okay? So this is for your own protection. Well, no one wants to be my friend. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the only way to have a friend is to first. You know, good. We don't have to have that conversation. Great, that's awesome. That's good. That's good. Being a good friend, you begin to embody those things. And what you will find is God will begin to bring around you those whom he loves that he wants to have a good friend. You know what? You need a good friend. I want, here, let me introduce you to, let me introduce you to, let me introduce you to. 
Because Mo says, God says, you know what, Mo? She's, she's a good friend. I'm going to bring people around here. Oh, Stephen, he's a good friend. I'm going to bring certain people around, around him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tom, I know. Tom's my friend. I'm going to bring other people around Tom so they can experience what it means to have a good friend. You focus on becoming a good friend. Jesus was our friend long before we were his. When we were still his enemy, Jesus was our friend. Who needs a good friend this week? Who's someone that you know? This, they need a good friend. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.